I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Today, we're going to take a look at the murder of Kathy Augustine, an ambitious politician who suffered a heart attack early one morning and never recovered. From the outset, her sudden illness raised the suspicions of her families, but it would be the testimony of a nurse on the other side of the city that would result in the arrest of her husband, Chaz Higgs, the man who thought he'd figured out the way to commit the perfect murder. And with that, welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, I'm your host, Simon. I'm here, one of my writers. Thank you, Emma, has written me a script. Chaz Higgs, the man who would have committed the perfect murder. Well, Chaz, look, you're being featured on The Casual Criminalist, mate, so it wasn't as perfect as you thought, was it? You're probably in jail somewhere, or, uh, I don't know, wherever this, where did this take place? Sounds American. Maybe got a needle in your arm, hey-ho. Uh, let's just jump in, shall we? Committing the perfect crime isn't as easy as some might think, since there are a lot of variables to take into consideration the type of crime, when and how you commit it, what kind of preparations you might take in case you get caught, how many of Simon's rules you have to follow, etc. Yes, there are many rules that we've established here. Throughout the casual criminals, rule number one, of course, is don't write down your crimes. The number of criminals writing down their crimes. Truly extraordinary. Anyway, Chaz Higgs thought that he found the perfect way to murder someone. Even if the police tried to pin it on him, they wouldn't find a smoking gun. They wouldn't find traces of his DNA or his fingerprints, or even a till slip that proved his guilt. And yet, just hours after he attempted to kill his wife, he made the mistake of telling a co-worker exactly how he would commit the perfect murder, thereby giving the police the tools they needed to bring him to justice. Oh, Chaz, you think you're committing the perfect murder, and then you're telling someone about your crime? This is like rule number three or whatever. It's like you don't talk about your crimes. Don't boast about your crimes. Don't just never bring your crimes up again. Commit your crimes and then shut the f*** up. This is the story of Kathy Augustine, the Nevada state- oh yeah, Nevada, we said it, didn't we? State controller whose murder case is a brilliant example of what role forensic science can play in determining whether someone is guilty of murder or not. The death of Kathy Augustine. At 8.30 on the morning of Friday the 8th of July, 2006, Felafano Jr. received the kind of call we all dread. His sister, 50-year-old Kathy Augustine, had been admitted to the Washoe Medical Center's South Meadows Hospital in Reno, Nevada. Her husband, 41-year-old Chaz Higgs, had called Kathy's mother, Kay Alfano, to let her know that her daughter was on the way to the ICU. When Kay told Chaz that she and her husband would be flying out of Reno immediately, Chaz reassured them that it wasn't necessary. There was nothing they could do for their daughter. Whether Kathy survived or not would depend on the medical staff of the South Meadows Hospital. Um, at which point you'd be like, oh, okay then, I guess I won't come. What the f***? Of course you go. That, Phil told his mother, though perhaps not in those exact words, if his sister was ill, he was going to be there to find out what had happened to her. Phil packed his bags, went to collect his parents, and took them to the Sacramento airport, and they all flew to Reno. Kay had also called Kathy's daughter, Dallas Augustine, to let her know what was going on. Oh my god, there's so many characters already. I'm like, who are all these people? Okay, it seems like the family are flocking to her, which makes sense. That evening, the entire family showed up at the Washoe Regional Medical Center, aka Washoe, Maine, to support Kathy in any way they could. Chaz and Alice were already sitting at Kathy's bedside when her parents and brother arrived. They questioned Chaz regarding what had happened to Kathy, and he explained that after he'd gotten up that morning, he went to the garage to work on his car, an old Volkswagen Beetle that Kathy had bought for him. He then went to wake Kathy up at 6.40 and realized that she wasn't breathing. He called 911 and performed CPR on her, but she didn't respond. When the emergency services arrived six minutes later, holy sh! that is a hell of a response time. Jesus. They were able to revive her, but she was in a coma. They had no idea how long she'd been starved of oxygen, and the initial theory was that she'd suffered a heart attack. She complained about not feeling well the day before, but he didn't realize just how bad her condition actually was. Chaz went on to explain how Kathy had a heart murmur and that it could have caused blood to leak into her heart, resulting in a heart seizure. As a critical care nurse, it was the only thing that made sense to him. The test results came back, and Kathy's prognosis wasn't good. The doctors had ordered an angiogram to be done so they could determine whether there was an arterial blockage that might have caused Kathy's heart attack. 
but there was none. Her heart muscles were weak, but there was no sign she'd suffered a heart attack. Her blood tests also came back clean, and the doctors were left puzzled as to the cause of her current condition. Her eyes blinked rapidly on and off that first night, and the ICU staff explained that it was an indication she was suffering from consistent seizures, a sure sign that her brain had sustained a lot of damage. Oh, that's so scary. Phil Jr. would explain his sister's condition when they were finally able to see her. Quote, We went in there, and it was just terrible. She was on a respirator, and her eyes were just wide open. She couldn't blink, and they had to keep putting drops in. And she couldn't move, other than an involuntary twitch in her lower body. By the next morning, that was gone. And then she wasn't moving at all. These are one of those scary... Like, this is one of the things that scares me. Like, you know, that that is so unpleasant that you don't like to think about. Like, what if you're in a coma, and you're conscious but no one knows you're conscious they have these brain scans right i'm always like yo 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 if that happens to me if i'm in a coma and or like where i'm awake but you know you don't know it where you you know what i mean where you're in the coma but you can't move like locked in or whatever i want to be put in one of those brain scan machines and then i want you to talk to me and tell me to think about because i know that different parts of the brain will light up if um i think about different things like you think about playing tennis or whatever then it activates that like memory and motor part of the brain and if you think about doing maths problems then it just activates the logic part of the brain or whatever and i want you to ask me like questions do you want to be kept alive in this coma think about playing tennis if yes think about doing maths if no (laughs) that's what i want (laughs) and even if you're not sure whether i'm awake in there i want to be put in the brain scan machine The days passed, and Kathy's condition only worsened. By Monday, her neurologist ordered an EEG test to be done to measure the electrical activity in her brain. Good. I want to be put in the EEG machine, if that's what it's called. The results came back, and the neurologist explained that Kathy no longer had any brain functions. She would never wake up from her coma. In her will, she'd requested that if she was ever declared to be brain dead, she should be taken off life support, and her family honored her wishes. Yeah, um, I haven't put that in my will, um, but probably should. Like, that seems, that's what I would like if I'm brain dead. Don't, don't keep me on there. Harvest my organs, give them to people who need them, and then, uh, then uh, get rid of me. Make me into one of those trees. Or just freeze my brain. Maybe freeze my brain. <laughs> the problem is if the brain's really damaged, it's going to be, you're going to need a lot of work to get that brain working again. So at 4.35pm on Tuesday the 11th of July 2006, Kathy Augustine's family stood at her bedside as she took her last breath. But on the other side of Reno, wheels had already been set in motion to prove that Kathy Augustine had been murdered. Kathy Augustine, politician, wife, mother. Kathy Marie Alfano Augustine was born on the 29th of May 1956 as the eldest child of Phil Alfano Sr. and his wife Kay. She'd grown up in a Republican household and reportedly had an interest in politics from a young age. She'd obtained a bachelor's degree in political science from Occidental College before going on to study for a master's degree in public administration at California State University. She worked as a congressional intern in Washington, D.C. while in college, but would end up working for Delta Airlines as a flight scheduler and a flight attendant before she finally landed a job as a member of the Nevada State Assembly in 1992. She had two memorable high points in her political career. In 1998, she became Nevada's first female state controller. Essentially, she was responsible for managing the state's finances, and in 2004, she was considered by then-President George W. Bush's administration to become the next treasurer of the United States. Okay, like, that's a big... I feel like there's a big jump from like, oh, you're running the budget in like a town or a state or... I guess it was a state. That's quite a big deal. That's a big deal. But of the entire country, like treasurer, don't they call that like treasury secretary? That's a big job. Doesn't the treasury secretary have the signature on the notes? That's a big, big job. Unfortunately, there are a few bumps in her career. She was implicated in a few controversial scandals early on and was impeached in 2004 for violating state ethics laws during her 2002 re-election campaign, making her the first ever Nevada state official to be impeached. I know impeachment's a big deal because they talk about that shit on the news, like Trump and... Wasn't someone else impeached? Clinton? Or like they started impeachment proceedings? Or I, I don't know. It's, it's often bandied around in the media and you know it's serious. According to Carlton Smith's book, Poisoned Love, the whole impeachment was based on the fact that Kathy's employees in the state controller's office had spent their working hours and office resources working on her re-election campaign. Oh, come on, you gotta know that's a no-no. You can't be, like, using the state's resources to get re-elected. That's some, like... 
if if you're like a politician, you know, I'm sure there's like millions of rules that you have to like pay attention to. But you'll probably be like, I don't know, there, there are rules you could accidentally violate, right? And then you'll be like, oh, really? That's a rule? But there's ones where it's like, yo, if what you're doing sounds a little bit like you're being a dictator or, you know, like a president for life or whatever, if that's the sort of thing that someone would do in a country where they have a dictator, maybe just be like, that doesn't sound right. This seems a bit naughty. Smith notes it wasn't unusual for state employees to help out on election campaigns, even on the state's time. Really? But the reason why Kathy was reported and finally impeached for it was quite simple. The fact that she was a Karen. <laughs> okay. Wait, this really happens? That feels so corrupt. To just, like, be using the state's resources to get re-elected when the person you're running for ele- who's running for election against you doesn't have the resources of the state. She argued that her employees had volunteered their time, but more than one staff member indicated that they felt that their jobs would be threatened if they didn't do what she'd ordered them to do. Um, okay, but still, if you're volunteering your time... Okay, I get that there's like the employer-employee relationship, but then take it to a tribunal afterwards if you really feel that that's what's going on. If you're volunteering your time, that's fine. But what my issue is, is they said it was done on state time, which is obviously wrong. <laughs> and when Kathy told one of her employees that she would have more time to work on Kathy's campaign if she had her sick, diabetic cat euthanized, it was the last straw and the employee reported her to the ethics committee. Um, well, good. It's not polite to speak ill of the dead unless they're horrible murderers, then fuck them, but the word bitch appears 13 times in Smith's book Poisoned Love and 14 times in Gary C. King's book An Almost Perfect Murder, and all of them are used to describe Kathy. And this personality trait of hers may be the reason why she was killed. The Husbands of Kathy Augustine Kathy's first marriage was either in 1978 or 1979 to a man named Gary an aircraft mechanic who worked at Western Airlines. Their daughter, Dallas, was born soon after, but the couple got divorced in mid-1980, when Kathy found out that she'd that he'd been cheating on her with another woman. He paid little to no child support, and Kathy was now a single mother to a toddler. She was determined to be able to provide for her baby, though, and this was when she enrolled at California State University. During the day, Kathy would work at Delta Airlines in Dallas and would stay with her grandparents, and at night, Kathy would study and work on a master's degree in public administration, which, in my opinion, makes her a total badass. Yeah, and she goes on to be considered for treasury secretary. Like, whatever you think about her, or not, she's obviously extremely competent. She got married to Kevin, a non-commissioned officer with the Marines, in 1987, but their marriage only lasted six months because, once again, she was being cheated on. But less than a year later, Kathy was once again headed for the altar. This time, she was getting married to Charles Augustine, a Delta Airlines pilot. He had three teenagers of his own and was 16 years older than her. Phil Jr., Kathy's younger brother, would say that, quote, It was kind of shocking at first. My reaction was like, this guy is 16 years older than you, and you're just coming off a divorce. This isn't going to work out. Um, I don't know. Like, it is a it is a big age difference, but they're all big adults. Like, what, she's going to be like 30, something? Like 87, 57? Like, yeah, they're all, they're all adults. And maybe she needs a person who's older and more mature and not, like, I don't know. <laughs> it feels like a sweeping statement to say, like, the old people are, like, less likely to, like, cheat. I don't know, aren't old people more like settled in their ways and just like comfortable with who they are and all that stuff? I don't know. But the couple would be married for 16 years. Brilliant. They weren't exactly blissfully happy. Well, that's less brilliant. Kathy was an ambitious, real type A personality and was always on the go. And Charles Augustine was happiest at home, drinking a beer and just chilling. Kathy and the nine-year-old Dallas initially moved into Charles's Las Vegas home. And for a while, Kathy was a stay-at-home mum. Charles was away from home three or four nights a week. And with Dallas away at school during the day, Kathy grew bored. She volunteered at Dallas's school and did some charity work. But eventually she would get back into politics. Kathy ran for public office in 1992 and won. By the time 1997 rolled around, Dallas would be off to university, and Kathy threw herself deeper into her political career. She started to make it known that she wanted to run for state controller. Her party members started building her up politically, and in November 1998, she was officially elected as Nevada's next state controller. That's a hell of a rise. I don't exactly know what a state controller is, but it sounds important. You're controlling the state. I feel like there's governors, right? The governor's the big one. Then there's senators. American politics, look, British politics is not exactly not confusing. But at least I understand that. Or like, I know that one. Whereas American, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, shit. Like, what's the difference between a senator and a governor? Does a senator represent, like, federal stuff and the governor's just the state dude? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Not important. She's a state controller, whatever that may be. 
The state controller's office was based in Carson City, which is 500 miles or eight hours drive away from Las Vegas, uh, where Kathy and Charles lived, but just 32 miles from Reno. Since Charles was away most of the time, the decision was made that Kathy would move back to Reno, and together the two of them bought a house on Ottaway for Kathy to live in, and eventually they had it transferred to her name. On the weekends, Kathy would either fly or drive back to Las Vegas to spend some time with Charles. He retired in 2001, and Kathy figured that he was now free to join her in Carson City and bit her side during the dozens of political cocktail parties that she had to attend. But he didn't, and Kathy still attended most of the parties solo. Laid-back Charles just wanted to stay at home in Las Vegas, relax next to the pool, and complete his crossword puzzles. Ah. <laughs> Like, I'm not a laid-back person, but I imagine I could become a laid-back person when I get older. And then the last thing I'd want to do is, like, traipse around and have to smile at, like, political parties with a bunch of people I don't know and probably don't like. I'd be like, no, 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 I just... The weather's real good. Live in Las Vegas, whatever. I mean, it's probably like fucking hot all the time. I went to Las Vegas once. It was like 50 degrees. It was unbearable. Like, I, I just didn't go outside. Just It was just so hot. Even like being by the pool, you'd be like, it's crazy hot. Let's just go back inside. But yeah, what I'm saying is I, I understand Charles's opinion. I wouldn't want to have to do all this stuff. I'd be like, can't we just like enjoy our retirement together, please? Kathy didn't like his disinterest in her political career, and her bitchy side started to make an appearance more and more. According to Charles's son, Larry Augustine, quote, Kathy's big shtick was making my father feel bad. She was constantly dissing him, the way he dressed, his habits, his attitudes. The handsome, uniformed pilot Kathy had come to know was now a fat old man who liked to wear his comfortable sweats and laze around in his favorite recliner, and he no longer fit the image that she wanted to portray. Charles, on the other hand, was perfectly fine with that and started jokingly referring to Kathy as she who must be obeyed. Kathy grew more and more unhappy in her marriage, and in December 2001, she'd tell her brother Phil that, quote, I'm thinking of divorcing Charles. He's become like a hermit. He shuffles around the house in Vegas. Some days he doesn't get out of his bathrobe. He doesn't want to do anything anymore. I can look, there's a balance, right? Like, I never want to be that old dude. I don't want to be the dude who sits in like that leather recliner that's all like squashed down and weird and not getting out of your bathrobe and just putting on too much weight. But I also want to be the dude who's like, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a beer by the pool at three o'clock in the afternoon. Why the f not? But then I like to think that I'd also go for a run. Phil tried to convince Kathy to stay with Charles, reminding her that she couldn't just divorce her husband because he got old, but Kathy was adamant, telling her brother that, I need companionship. I need somebody with me. Now, I've already spent a lot of time going on about Kathy's marriage to Charles, but I promise there is a reason for it. Kathy openly started cheating on Charles after she won re-election in 2002. In early 2003, Charles sat her down and said that he wanted a divorce, and the two of them came to an agreement. They hadn't properly lived together for years, but now they were officially separated. On the morning of the 14th of July 2003, Charles went over to his neighbor's house and told them that he suspected he'd suffered a minor stroke. They drove him to Sunrise Hospital, and there the medical staff confirmed his suspicion. Only they suspected that it had been a minor stroke, and they arranged for an MRI to be done the next day to just to determine just how severe his stroke had been. When I was younger, I always thought like strokes were something, and it's like, oh, you're gonna know because like half your body stops working or something like that. But then as I got older, I realized like strokes could be really minor, and then you could just be like, I think I had a stroke. Like they thought my grandma had a stroke at one point, and they were like, yeah, maybe she did, maybe she did. She's really old, so I mean, it's it's it's, it's old. It can happen. It's like okay. <laughs> You're just not sure? And it's like, no, she just seems a little bit less there than she was yesterday, but she wasn't really all there anyway. So you're like, okay, I guess this is something that happens. Oh my God, getting old is terrifying. <laughs> it's like all my grandparents have died in the last like four years, like all of them. And it's just like getting old. It's like, you just, I mean, they were on their way out for a while, but it's like, Man, getting old is scary. And you have to see, they, there's so many like random things in hospital and random things. And it's just like, oh my God. My, uh, my great uncle, he's just like, he was this dude who was like, he always looked like 20 years younger than he was. And I think he must have been like 90 or something. And then he just died in his sleep. Like he was just playing golf, having a good time, doing all this stuff. And then he just popped off in his sleep one night. And I'm like, that's the way to go. Don't get all old and like crazy and just worn down. And then in the hospital every other week with some new problem until you eventually just fade away. It's just so miserable. I just want to like... In, in the night. Like, I mean, doesn't everyone? Why are you saying this, Simon? I don't know, just a little venting, I guess. I guess. Hey-ho. Getting old. 
On the 15th of July, 2003, Charles suffered another stroke while they were getting him ready for his MRI and Charles was rushed to the ICU. Kathy was still legally his wife, so the hospital staff informed her that her husband had lost speech and control over most of his body and had to be sedated to keep him calm. Kathy called Charles's sons and they all rushed to Las Vegas to be with him. He spent three weeks in the ICU and during that time his condition remained unchanged. When he was moved over to the general ward, his sons and Kathy had to start discussing who was going to take care of him once he was released. Greg Augustine explained that Kathy was unwilling to take care of Charles, quote, She had a panicked look. She wanted to know who was going to take care of him. I can't take care of him. End quote. On the 19th of August, 2003, Charles Augustine passed away due to massive organ failure. Oh, this was just a month later, okay. Kathy and her daughter, Dallas, inherited everything. Charles's entire estate was worth over a million dollars. Oh, he was a pilot, right? He was a pilot for years. Yeah. I mean, a million dollars isn't what he used to be. But this is 20 years ago. So a million dollars is, what, maybe a million five? Something like that. It's a lot of money. And Kathy was now the recipient of Charles's income of just over $7,000 a month. Exactly one month after Charles's death, Kathy married Chaz Higgs. The Politician and the Ianos According to Phil Alfano Jr., quote, Kathy could be very, very impulsive when it came to relationships. It was a pattern throughout her life. She had very poor judgment when it came to men. I think we're all at a loss to understand it. On paper, Chaz Higgs isn't necessarily a bad person. He was born William Charles Higgs, one set of identical twins. His father was a Marine, and they grew up in Jacksonville, North Carolina. He was an intelligent kid, had a happy childhood, and grew up to be a tall, attractive, and well-built man, a fact that kind of went to his head. He joined the Navy in 1983 and trained as a hospital corpsman. He would get married a total of three times, file for bankruptcy twice, leave the Navy in March 1999, adopt his stepdaughter, and then obtained an associate's degree in nursing in 2002. In July 2003, he was over $30,000 in debt, lived in a converted school bus in an RV park in East Las Vegas, and spent all of his free time at the gym. <laughs> I get the feeling. Like, this guy's... When we were talking about Kathy, it was like, she first got married in 1978 or 1979, something like that. And this guy's, like, he's the murderer in today's video, right? So, like, I guess there's court records of his, like, entire life being detailed. Because <laughs> that is some detail. The top of his hair was permed and bleached. On days off, he wore see-through shirts and washed-out jeans, and he had diamond studs in his ears. This guy is going for that quintessential 90s look, isn't he? If you Google Justin Timberlake 1998, you'll see exactly what look he was going for. Jazz was a critical care nurse at Sunrise. How is this woman, like, marrying this dude? <laughs> What's going on? Jazz was a critical care nurse at Sunrise Hospital when Charles Augustine was admitted to the ICU, and Kathy told her brother, uh, met Chaz while he was caring for Charles. John Satoras, Charles Augustine's neighbor and longtime friend, admits that he's a little old-fashioned and said that he wasn't impressed when Kathy had first introduced him to Chaz, explaining that anyone with diamond studs in the ears can't be all good. What she saw in him was beyond anything that anyone could guess at. <laughs> Holy sh Harsh. My 63-year-old dad is also old-fashioned, and he can tell John exactly what Kathy saw in the six-foot-tall, well-built and attractive 39-year-old Chaz. And it rhymes with eggs appeal. Oh, we can say the word sex. It's sex appeal. And when it came to the 47-year-old Kathy, the broke-ass Chaz saw a beautiful, charming, socially powerful state official who would be a millionaire once her sickly husband died. See where I'm going with this? Yes, we do. Either way, Kathy didn't tell her family that she'd gotten married again until a month later. According to Phil Alfano Jr., uh, when we first met him, my wife commented to me that he looked like Chris Lowe of the Pet Shop Boys. Now, if you think Simon is clueless when it comes to pop culture, you haven't met me yet. But now I know that the Pet Shop Boys was a synth-pop duo from England, and I was pleasantly surprised to find that I know some of the songs, like You Were Always On My Mind and It's a Sin. You learn something new every day. I'm pretty sure I've listened to some pet shop boys definitely heard of them anyway phil alfano jr listened to his sister going on and on about how great Chaz is and all the time he's sitting there thinking she sounded like a 17 year old girl and i'm like kathy what were you even thinking but to his credit phil wasn't an ass about it he also said i wished her well you know i hope things work out it seemed like an odd combination but he was a very polite guy very respectful very quiet <laughs> it does seem like such an odd match she's like a state controller uh, a previous husband was a retired pilot, and now she's getting married to a 39-year-old guy who's trying to look like a 20-year-old Justin Timberlake in the 90s with diamond stud earrings and a see-through t-shirt. What's up, bro? <laughs>
But their wedded bliss didn't last long, since soon after their wedding, Kathy was accused of improper use of state personnel and resources, and the impeachment process began. According to Chaz, the stress that Kathy was under made her extra bitchy, and she took her frustrations out on him. But Chaz wasn't afraid to fight fire with fire. John Satoris would say that Kathy complained to him in August 2004 that Chaz had told her that, quote, you're not thin enough and you're not blonde enough, and Kathy would complain to Chaz's twin brother that Chaz was unhappy with the chemistry between us and that had never been sexually attracted to me. He told me he wasn't happy the day we got married. That's savage. <laughs> it's like that succession thing. What was it? There was something the the woman said to her her husband, who ends up being a badass in the, the last episode of the last season. God, that show's so good, but I've forgotten all about it, and it, I can't wait for it to come back, and I'm definitely going to need that recap. And yet the two of them stayed together. After she passed away, Chaz told people that he couldn't get it over his soft little heart to divorce Kathy when she was in the middle of her impeachment process because it would have been devastating for her. But another issue had seemed to raise its head soon after their marriage. Together, the two of them made a combined total of $18,000 a month. That's $30,000 today. Holy sh- Okay, a month? That's a pretty good money. And almost none of it was left over at the end of the month. Oh, what are you buying? I know that people live to their means, but that's what? That's like 360 grand a year. I don't know what that is after taxes, but like, whatever it is, it's a lot. And you're like a state employee and you're a nurse. Oh, she's also got the money. I guess she's got her money from her job, her money from his job, and also the money from her uh, uh, dead pilot husband, right? Where's that money going? (laughs) Chaz, it seemed, had a little bit of a spending problem. Yeah, no sh**. And he had no issue draining his wife's bank account, resulting in them having almost constant fights about it. Yeah, no sh**. In April 2004, Kathy formed the Kathy M. Augustine Trust to protect her assets. Smart ass move right there. And specified that after her death, Chaz would only inherit her Lexus and the BMW she'd bought him. Dallas would inherit the rest, assets the value of almost $1.1 million. Whether or not Chaz knew about the trust isn't clear, but in December 2004, Kathy outright told her brother that if she died, Chaz is not to get a penny. Uh oh. Chaz got. Well, hang on. I said I there because I, I, I'm just dumb. And I was like, well, that gives Chaz an incentive to murder her. It's like, no, it doesn't, Simon, you tiny brain. It gives her, it gives him a disincentive to murder her. Because now if he, oh, but he doesn't know. So maybe if he murders her, he thinks he'll get all the money. And then he gets nothing. Oh, no, Chaz. <laughs> then Cassie made a name for herself at the South Meadows Hospital, where Chaz was working at the time. Chaz had started an affair with a co-worker, and allegedly Cathy got her fired. She also started harassing his co-workers, complaining to his supervisor about his work schedule, and demanding that they should hand his paycheck over to her instead of him. She'd call the ER up to six times a day and demand to talk to Chaz, and when the nurse on duty told her that Chaz was unavailable or put her on hold, she'd shout at them over the phone and threatened to have them fired, reminding them that she was Kathy Augustine and she was kind of a big deal. People like that is this mega Karen behavior right now. Except she also does seem quite important in state politics, so maybe she can get people fired, but also it's a hospital. Like, what pull do you have over them? One of his co-workers would later testify that whenever someone asked Chaz if he needed any help, it jokingly responds with, yeah, you can get rid of my wife for me. <laughs> Bro, you end up murdering her. You can't be saying that. <laughs> But as time went on, it became less of a joke and more of a statement. (laughs) Understandably, his co-workers became concerned for him and started asking him why he didn't just divorce Kathy and get it over with. Chaz simply told them that he couldn't. In an email he later sent to the woman he'd been having an affair with, Chaz wrote that, Kathy is very vindictive and has a lot of power. She's incredibly controlling and wants to control everything in her life. She lost control of me when you came along and has not regained it since. She has made my life a living hell in the past by manipulation and threats. After losing you, I made a pact with myself that I would live every day manipulating her and driving her crazy. I hate this woman and I will make her break. It's my quest in life to drive this crazy and it is working. I don't care anymore what she tries to do. I was scared before, but not anymore. Holy sh**, my dude. You need to see a therapist and you need to get divorced. Because that's some like, it's weird to be writing that stuff. If you find yourself writing that stuff, anyone listening, just like, Go see a therapist because this is not this is not healthy. This is not the healthy way to deal with negative emotions and feelings towards people in any way. In the end, Kathy's constant harassment of the ER staff meant that Chaz had to quit his position at the South Meadows Hospital, and he accepted a position at the Carson Tahoe Hospital in Carson City. But it wasn't long before his new co-workers learned just how much hate Chaz felt towards his wife, the powerful politician. <laughs> 
I can't believe any time we have one of these where it's like the genius killers, the perfect murder. I'm always like, bro, this dude is like, we know he murders his wife, right? That's what's coming up. But he's like the perfect murder, except he went around for years telling people, I'd love you to get rid of my wife. If you knocked off my wife, that would be grand. I hate my wife. She's such a bitch. I'm going to murder her someday. <laughs> what are you up to? Now onto the actual crime here. The murder of Catherine Murdy. <laughs> the murder of Catherine Augustine and the mistakes Chaz made when he planned her murder. Don't tell other people about your crimes. It's a fact that the spouse is the first person the police always suspect when someone dies under suspicious circumstances. Oh my god, I even forgot that one. That's like CSI rule number one. And according to his gold co-workers, Chaz was a suspect almost from the moment that Kathy Augustine was admitted to hospital that Friday morning. <laughs> she could get ad- admitted to hospital for like a heart attack or whatever, or like a broken leg. <laughs> and they'd be- <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that is not caused by a person, but I'm not really coming up with anything. Like... Food, po- food poisoning could even be caused by a person. Like some a, a stroke. And they'd be like, Chaz did it. Chaz did it. He hates her. He did it somehow. It was Chaz. <laughs> Chaz. You see, when the ambulance asked him where they should take Kathy, he directed them towards the South Meadows Hospital, the very same hospital where he used to work as a critical care nurse. He stood on the sidelines as they treated her and told everyone who would listen all about the theories he had regarding what had happened to her. Once the news spread that she was in a coma and that her angiogram had come back clear, more than one person started remembering the conversations they'd had with Chaz regarding his wife, wondering if it was possible that he'd done something to her. And for one of them, the alarm bell started ringing. Good. Her name was Kim Ramy, and she and Chaz had worked alongside each other in the cardiac unit of Carson Tahoe Hospital on Thursday, the 7th of July, 2006, the day before Kathy fell ill. Ramy was showing Chaz around the cardiac unit when he got a call from Kathy. The two of them argued, and Chaz ended the call by telling Kathy, I will f- talk to you when I get home. Which is never the way to talk to anyone you know, no matter how pissed off you are at them. Yes, agreed. Ramsey was understandably curious and asked Chaz if everything was alright. He told her that it opened up a private bank account so that he could hide his money from Kathy, but somehow she had found out about it. Uh oh. She's a f-ing stalker, and I'm looking for an apartment because she's a f-ing stalker. She's a b- she's a psycho. He also explained to Rami that his wife was a high-profile politician and that he hated it. Rami tried to tell him that he had no in- she had no interest in who Kathy was and she wasn't interested in Nevada's political scene. She explained that she understood about bad marriages, though, since she was in the process of getting a divorce herself. Eventually, their conversation led to a discussion about Darren Mack, a local businessman who'd murdered his wife in the middle of a messy divorce. Chaz, what are you up to? You're literally... You have an argument in front of one of your co-workers, and then you discuss about how some local person had murdered his wife while in the middle of a messy divorce, and then you go home and murder your wife. What? What is wrong with you, Charles? This is not the... Chaz, this is not the perfect murder in any way, and I do feel weird calling you Chaz. Chaz? He then assassinated the judge who was hearing the divorce case before he fled to Mexico. What the f***, dude? What, you assassinated a judge? Bro, that's not going to get you off... Just flee to Mexico. You don't need to assassinate the judge. Rami and Chaz discussed the bizarre circumstances of the murders and Darren's possible motives, and Chaz told Rami that Mac had made a crucial mistake when he murdered his wife. Chaz t- coldly told Rami that if you want to get rid of someone, you've got to hit him with little sucks because they can't trace it at a post-mortem. Hit him with little sucks? What does that mean? Like, what is a little suck? S-U-C-C-S. I guess we'll find out. And it was this discussion that Kim Ramy thought back on when she first heard the news that Kathy Augustine was in a coma a day after Chaz had explained how he would murder someone. Now, first, you have to understand what sucks is. Sucks is the nickname the hospitals gave to a paralytic that they use whenever a patient has to be intubated. Succinylcholine. According to Dr. Pamela Russell, sucks was developed from curare, the infamous poison that South American tribes use on their poisoned arrows. When sucks is injected into a human, it causes the body's muscles to go into a spasm, and not just spasms, quote, big spasms that look like probably the worst seizure you were ever to see. And it lasts approximately 30 to 60 seconds, at which time the muscles are paralyzed. That sounds a lot like what was happening to her face, doesn't it? It tends to be very quick as far as onset, and of most of our paralytic drugs, it tends to wear off about 15 to 17 minutes after it was given. Sucks is only used when a breathing tube is to be inserted, whether during an emergency or elective surgery, since it completely paralyzes the throat muscles and the tube can be inserted without injuring the patients. Yeah, I had a surgery a couple of years ago, 
and they had to put me under and I was concerned because obviously I use my voice for work and they're putting a tube down your throat and I was like, mm, I'll just look into that. And it's like, yeah, it can damage your 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 voice potentially and it can like make it so you can't speak or like speak well for like a while afterwards. And so I just asked the anesthetologist about this and they're like, oh yeah, we could just use a different thing. They could just use some mask which like sucks onto your face or like inside your mouth or something to do it. And so they just did that. And I'm like, that's great. And I'm in like the recovery room afterwards and there's a dude next to me who's also just been in surgery for the exact same thing that I had. I broke my collarbone and then put a bar in there. And he was like, my voice is horrible. And I'm like, did you have a tube in there? And he was like, yeah, obviously. And I feel it. And I'm like, glad I did do that. <laughs> However, paralysis also means that as soon as the drugs take effect, the muscles that are used for breathing are also paralyzed. So the patient must be put on a ventilator until the drug wears off or they'll suffocate to death. That's terrifying, isn't it? Medical staff always inject the patient with a fast-acting sedative and a muscle relaxer before they administer sucks, particularly because of the excruciating pain that the patients suffer when their body starts convulsing. According to Dr. Russell, if sucks is given alone, you will sit and suffocate, unable to move, knowing what's going on around you, your surroundings, and you'll continue to feel like you are suffocating until your brain starts to die after 6-10 to 10 minutes. Then when the brain cells start to die, you'll probably go comatose. Oh my fuck. Medicine is so scary. Medicine is so scary. I'm really glad I don't have anything to do with that. Like, my family are mostly doctors. And I'm like, I'm glad I'm not in that because this just sounds like, and you're just around death and misery all the time. And I get like it's like a, a noble profession and all that stuff. And you're like helping people and saving lives. And I'm just like, yeah, but it sounds so intense. <laughs> just want to make videos. Dr. Russell goes on to explain that if medical staff resuscitate you at the end of that time and probably get your breathing, enough brain cells would have died that the brain will swell up and your chances for recovering and being a normal human being are very, very limited. The patients who have told me about it say it's pure terror, worse than any Stephen King novel that you could imagine. Now, I admit I didn't fully understand what Kathy Augustine had gone through until I read Dr. Russell's testimony, and I have to agree with Dr. Robert Middleberg, the director of the National Medical Services Lab in Pennsylvania, who went on to explain that it's a terrible poison to have administered to you. Is it an insidious murder weapon? You better believe it is. Yeah, it's it's torture. I'd say that's torture. You're torturing someone to death. Um, it seems pretty f***ing horrible. Don't go on TV. Dude, what the f***? I, Emma, I hope you titled this perfect murder, like, <laughs> sarcastically, because holy sh- at this dude i'm sure don't go on tv is also one of the rules because wasn't there a dude who murdered someone and then went on a game show like an idiot on tuesday the 11th of july 2006 kim Raimi watched as Chaz and other members of kathy's family appeared on a newscast about kathy's condition Chaz, dressed in a gray sweater told the news reporters how he had been working on his car that morning before he went to wake kathy up and that quote i just checked her out and she wasn't breathing she had no pulse so i started cpr he made a point of telling everyone who would listen that Kathy had been under an enormous amount of stress because of her campaign to become the new state treasurer and that it was because of her political career and enemies that she was now in a coma. Chaz also reminded everyone how much he loved Kathy so, so much. Rami didn't believe a word he said and became convinced that Chaz might have tried to murder his wife. She told her suspicions to her boyfriend and a co-worker, but she felt hesitant to tell anyone else about it. Luckily, her boyfriend and co-worker reported her suspicions to Dr. Richard Sayer, a heart specialist at Carson Tahoe Hospital. He then went to talk to Raimi, and she repeated her suspicions to him. Dr. Sayer convinced Raimi that she had to call the police, and she did, leaving a message with the Reno Police Department's answering service. At this point, Kathy was still alive and breathing, and her family was sorting out the last details before they signed the documents that would allow the hospital to take Kathy Augustine off of life support. Dr. Sayer was aware that her prognosis wasn't good and was convinced that time was running out to prove that Kathy had been poisoned. He became frustrated at the news that Ramey had only been able to reach an answering service, so he called Dr. Richard Ganshin at Washoe, Maine, the cardiologist who was treating Kathy Augustine, and told him about Ramey's suspicions. Dr. Ganshin dropped everything he was doing and called the pathology lab. They called the South Meadows lab and urgently requested that all the samples that had been taken from Kathy that Friday morning had to be delivered to them for safekeeping. You see, Dr. Sarah and Dr. Ganshin realized that they were racing the clock. Sucks is described as a half-life drug. According to Dr. Bill Anderson, this means that once it's injected, it's quickly absorbed into the body and becomes undetectable. As Dr. Russell describes it, you only have about 20 minutes after it's been administered before the body's enzymes destroy completely. Once the person dies from this poison, 
poisoning, it's impossible to prove post-mortem that they've been injected with it. But, and this was a small but, Suck's byproduct can be detected during a toxicology test if you know what you're looking for. It's called succinyl monocoli, and if they were very lucky, they might be able to pick it up in the blood that was taken from Kathy that Friday morning. If not, they had to do whatever tests they could while Kathy was still alive so that they could prove that she had been poisoned. Now, once again, I have to interrupt myself so that I can explain something to you. It's important that you understand exactly what medical procedures were followed the morning that Kathy was admitted. When the first responders arrived at Ottawa, are they going to put a tube in her? Are they going to give it to her anyway? Uh-oh. And that's going to throw things off, right? Because if he gave it to her and they gave it to her, is there a way to prove that he gave it to her as well? When the first responders arrived at Ottawa, they immediately removed Kathy from the bed, placed her on the floor, put a breathing tube down her throat, and started CPR. One of the medic paramedics then placed an IV line in her arm and administered two drugs, epinephrine and atropine, so that they could get her heart beating again. Once they confirmed a pulse, Kathy was rushed to hospital. Upon arrival, Nurse Marlene Swanson and Nurse Chris McCabe took custody of Kathy and started doing whatever they could for her. Part of this was to take samples of her blood as well as her urine and then send them off to pathology labs for urgent testing. It was these samples that were now being sent to Washoe Main Hospital, where it was immediately placed in the freezer along with fresh samples of her blood, just waiting on the police to start an investigation into the murder of Kathy Augustine. Excellent. <laughs> Perfect crime. Worst committed crime ever. Hide the evidence of your crimes. Are you ready for CSI, The Casual Criminalist? Am I ever, Emma? Let's go. At 3.20 a.m. on the afternoon of the 11th of July, 2006, a little more than an hour before Kathy would die, Detective Dave Jenkins from the Reno Police Department received Kim Ramey's tip and called her back. She told him about her conversation with Chaz Higgs on the 7th of July, 2006, and about her suspicion that Chaz had poisoned Kathy. Remy also explained what sucks was and what effects it had on a person's body once it was administered. Detective Jenkins and his partner Scott Hopkins drove over to Washoe, Maine, and met with the nurse he knew in the ICU, Lynn Sharby. They explained Ramey's theory, and Nurse Shaby confirmed that it fit Kathy's symptoms. She also explained that Kathy had been taken off life support and wouldn't live much longer. Detective Jenkins went back to the police station and called Deputy District Attorney Tom Barb, opening an official investigation into Kathy's murder. Then he called the Washoe County Coroner's Office and explained that the moment Kathy Augustine passed away, her death should be declared an official coroner's case, which would require a mandatory autopsy. Eck, this all feels like good, but basic like why are we going through this in so much detail isn't this just like basic police work that like okay they're suspicious of it she died they don't know why autopsy i guess because the stuff can be absorbed but we've already dealt with that once Kathy was declared dead, Washoe County Coroner's Office investigator Steve Woods took custody of Kathy's body as well as blood and urine samples and took them to the coroner's office for an autopsy. Dr. Ellen Clark would perform the autopsy on Kathy Augustine on the 12th of July 2006 while Deputy District Attorney Barb and Detective Jenkins looked on. Since the initial theory was that Kathy had suffered a heart attack, Dr. Clark studied her heart first and declared that there weren't any signs that Kathy had suffered a heart attack. But she did note that both the heart and lungs suffered some damage due to prolonged oxygen deprivation. Kathy's brain had also sustained some damage and was swollen, another sign of prolonged oxygen deprivation. But other than that, Dr. Clark couldn't find any reason for Kathy's coma and eventual death. But because they were looking for it, she did find two puncture wounds on Kathy's left buttock. Uh-oh. Also, it doesn't matter where you administer this suck stuff. I kind of assumed they were injecting it into the throat or whatever, like a local anesthetic, but... I guess not. Quote, There was at least one injection, if not two, probably needle injection site, identified in an unusual location, and the puncture sites weren't ever accounted for with the record of medical therapy. Next, Detective Jenkins obtained a warrant for Kathy's house on Otter Way, and the forensics team collected what they could, paying particular attention to any medications or empty syringes that they found in the home that Chaz used to share with Kathy. This is like, this is, this is good, quick police work. I like it. I don't want to think that it's because she was a very important politician in the state or something like that, but it is rare to see something happen this quickly and neatly and procedurally, right? Obviously, Chaz should have had more than enough time to get rid of any evidence that had been left over after it injected Kathy, and yet in the hallway outside of the main bedroom, the police found a black nylon backpack that Chaz used whenever he went to the hospital. In it, they found several textbooks as well as a vial of Etamidate. 
Etamidate is a strong muscle relaxant and is a companion drug to sucks. The two vials of drugs are usually packaged together in a rapid sequence intubation kit, a plastic box that is stored in a crash cart in the ICU and is used when emergency intubation is required. Detective Jenkins would later discover that these kits weren't as closely controlled as other drugs are, and the hospital's pharmacy would replace any missing kits in the ICU's carts without question, which means that Chaz would have had easy access to them. Detective Jenkins explains that it's on the crash cart. It's in the ICU refrigerator. There's some in every surgical unit in the hospital, essentially on every ward, and the consensus of the nurses that I spoke to was that, as a nurse, if they had some nefarious criminal intent, they would have very little difficulty secreting sucks out of the hospital. Yeah, I guess because it's like not a drug of abuse or whatever, they don't keep a particularly close eye on it. And I guess it's quite an unusual murder weapon. But also, I can't just the continuing lack of competence from Chaz here. It's like, bro, you left evidence of your crime in the house where you committed the crime for a long time after the crime was committed and you didn't get rid of it. What's wrong with you, Chaz? You tiny brain. It wasn't the only suspicious item they found. The police also found a stack of medical index cards in Chaz's car. These cards list the properties of various drugs and explain what they're used for. On their own, that's not suspicious. I have a friend who studied to be a pharmacist, and she had similar cards she used to study the properties of various kinds of medicine that she had to dispense. But what made the police suspicious was the fact that the card for sucks was on top of the pile for easy reference. Jesus, Chaz, you tiny-brained individual. Obviously, these were all circumstantial. The Atomidate wasn't the only drug that Chaz inexplicably had in his possession, and any nurse could have medical textbooks and index cards that listed the properties of sucks. They had to be able to prove that Chaz had injected Kathy with sucks if they wanted to charge him with the murder. Dr. Bill Anderson was asked to run the tests for sucks and its byproduct, let's call it mono, but he had no experience testing for either substance, so Kathy's blood and urine samples were sent to the FBI's laboratory in Virginia. This is just exceptional police work. Is It's because she's like this state controller or whatever. It's just such good police work. There, Madeline Montgomery, a forensic toxicologist, tested the samples for both sucks and mono, and according to Madeline, quote, the analysis was a target analysis. The instruments were set up specifically to look for sucks. The problem is that mono naturally occurs in the human body, and as soon as the body dies and starts the decomposition process, even more is produced, so the amount of mono in a test would reach abnormal levels when compared to the mono levels of a living person. As a result, once the person had died and had been embalmed, it was almost impossible to prove that they'd been poisoned with sucks. But a similar murder case to that of Kathy Augustine had occurred in 1991, so the FBI developed a process in order to test for mono in an already deceased body. The difference here was that Kathy had still been alive when the samples were taken, so the process had to be simplified. They're inventing like new science. Oh my god. I just wish the police work on all cases was just so exemplary. Madeline explained that she had to take various steps in order to prove that Kathy had been poisoned with sucks. First, she had to prepare a sample for her testing machines to pick up and classify sucks. She then had to dose a sample of blood with sucks and see if the machine picked it up or not. If it did, then she'd run a clean sample through the machine and see whether the machine reported negative levels for sucks. Then she had to run the samples together and see whether the machine identified the dosed sample as containing levels of sucks. Only then could she run Kathy's samples through the machine. Okay, I'm a little bit lost, but she's just like working out a way to test whether she was poisoned with sucks or just has that like naturally occurring mono stuff, right? Madeline began her test 10 days after Kathy had died. On the 25th of September 2006, a little over two months later, she sent her report to the Washoe Crime Lab. Both sucks and mono had been identified in the urine sample. No traces of it remained in the blood samples. And according to Madeline, this is because sucks survives longer in the urine because there aren't enzymes in the urine that break it down like there are in the blood samples. But one thing was for sure. Now they had been able to prove that Kathy had both sucks and elevated levels of mono in her body that Friday morning, and Chase's goose was cooked. Don't involve other people in your crimes. For Greg Augustine, one question had been hovering on the sidelines ever since Kathy had passed away and the news had spread that Chaz was a suspect in her death. Was Chaz also responsible for the murder of Charles Augustine? Oh, that's a good question because that's her previous husband, right? The pilot. And Chaz was seeing her while they were still together. 
it's a bit of a stretch, right? And if he was so bad at this crime, I feel like there'd be more evidence. I mean, maybe there's lots of evidence. Let's find out. Kathy had told her family and friends that she'd met Chaz in the week following Charles's death. She told a story of how she gave gifts and thank you notes to all the medical staff who had been involved in caring for Charles, but that she'd forgotten to give a gift to Chaz. To apologize for her mistake, she invited the younger, attractive man for coffee and the two hit it off. But Greg explains that Kathy and Chaz had known each other for at least three weeks before that, since he'd often seen the two of them sit together in the cafeteria, and ever since his father's death, the idea that Chaz and Kathy had somehow managed to get rid of his father had been niggling in the back of his mind. I think he was killed. I think Kathy got Chaz to do it. I think they did it so that they could go away and live happily ever after. But now that a definitive murder weapon had been found, aka Sucks, Charles Augustine's family requested that Charles's body should be exhumed and tests run to see if there was any Sucks or Mono in his system. The NMS labs ran the test in this instance, and the results came back positive for Mono. Yeah, but we already said, like, or you said that Mono occurs naturally, right? And he's been in the ground for a while. They're going to develop some sort of test to figure this out. Yeah, possibility that Chaz had murdered at least two people. But to quote myself, the problem is that mono occurs naturally in the human body. And as soon as the body dies and the decomposition process starts, even more is produced so that the amount of mono in a test would reach abnormal levels when compared to the mono levels of a living person. As a result, once the person has died and has been embalmed, it's almost impossible to prove that they'd been poisoned with sucks. So yes, elevated levels of mono were found in Charles Augustine's body, suggesting that Chaz might have murdered him. If this theory is correct, there's also the possibility that Kathy had been aware of it and that the two of them had worked together. Put a pin in that. We'll get back to it later. Keep your story straight. On the 29th of September 2009, Detective Jenkins tracked Chaz down to his brother's house in Hampton, Virginia, and he was arrested for the murder of Kathy Augustine. According to Detective Jenkins, Chaz had called his lawyer the moment he was allowed and refused to say anything to them until his lawyer, Alan Baum, joined him in the interrogation room. Well, that's just playing smart. Like, I feel like Emma's writing that as like, is indicative of his guilt. And I'm like, no, it's just indicative of him, like, knowing that it's a good idea to get a lawyer, whether you're innocent or guilty. Always get that lawyer. The case of the state of Nevada and Chaz Higgs started on the 18th of June 2007, almost a year after Kathy had been murdered. During the course of the trial, the defense tried to get the forensic results and Madeline's testimony declared invalid and failed. They tried to disprove her results and failed at that as well. And as we know, Chaz would be found guilty of the murder of Kathy Augustine, but the prosecution had to prove that Chaz did have a motive for killing Kathy. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy? He was saying for years how he wants someone to knock her off. The most obvious motive would have been money, and yet Charles had only inherited the two cars that Kathy had promised him. Her daughter had inherited the rest of her $1.1 million estate. Yes, but he didn't know that. Just because he didn't get it didn't mean he didn't think he was going to get it. And then there's the theory that he and Kathy had conspired together to kill Charles Augustine, and he killed her to keep her quiet. The prosecution could have used this theory either, since they couldn't prove that Charles Augustine had died from sucks poisoning. So, they went with option number three. Kathy was a bitch, and Chaz had grown sick of being bullied by her. Mike Higgs, Chaz's twin brother, testified that he knew the couple had trouble since both of them used to complain about it to him. He told the court that he was aware of his brother wanting to divorce Kathy, especially when she was in the middle of the impeachment process. According to Mike, quote, Kathy was under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and she took it out on Chaz. I told him to stick with it, to give it time. In hindsight, when things got really bad, I should have told them to split. When Chaz got up to the stand, his testimony was a lot similar to Mike's. He explained how he and Kathy had met and gotten married, and how he would escort Kathy all over to political events, aware that some of her colleagues referred to him as her arm candy. I personally didn't like it, attending these events. I never felt comfortable that Kathy wanted me there. And eventually, Kathy heard that she was going to be investigated by the state attorney for mismanaging state resources, and that she'd lost her nomination to be the next U.S. Treasurer. She was devastated. She got closed off, angry. She came home like that every day. So cold, so hard, so scared, so defensive. And when Chaz mentioned getting a divorce less than a year into their marriage, Kathy refused, stating that it wouldn't look good for her political image if she divorced her arm candy less than a year into marriage. Wait, she was in politics before, and didn't she get divorced then? It would have to wait until after the impeachment, and then it would have to wait until after she ran for state treasurer. By then, more than two years had already passed, and Kathy had become more and more controlling after she found out that he had been cheating on her. Um, 
if someone's saying they want to get divorced, your relationship's over. Because someone's like, I want to get divorced. And like, okay, just wait until my impeachment process is over. Just wait until I become the treasurer of the United States. And then we can get divorced. At that point, it's like, what, what position are you in to be like, to be controlling that person and what they do? Chaz claimed that he'd never considered killing Kelly and repeated claims that it already made in the media that Kathy had been receiving death threats from her political enemies and they didn't want her to run for state treasurer and expose the corruption that she claimed ran deep on a state level. And then the prosecution confronted him about the number of times that told the media he loved Kathy and couldn't live without her, and how he told them more than once already that he wanted to divorce her less than a year into their marriage. And Chaz kept on changing his story. Yes, he wanted to divorce Kathy. Yes, he told other women that he didn't love her. Yes, he'd called her fat. No, he didn't swear at her over the phone the night before she collapsed. No, he hadn't asked for a divorce that night. Yes, they'd had a loving relationship, at least for most of their marriage. Blah, 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 blah. Nothing Chaz said on the stand had done in the weeks following Kathy's death, or even in the three years they'd been married, had made him look any less guilty to the jury. And it took them less than a day to reach their verdict. At 2 p.m. on the 29th of June 2007, the foreman of the jury stood up and said, We the jury find Chaz Higgs guilty of first-degree murder. But they weren't finished yet. Chaz still had to be sentenced, and according to Smith's book, Poisoned Love, the prosecution hadn't asked for the death penalty. So there were only three possible sentences that Chaz could receive. 50 years with the possibility of parole, a life sentence with parole after 20 years, and a life sentence without parole. Okay, you want that middle one, right? The life sentence with parole after 20 years. The other two were 50 years. I mean, 20 years is a long-ass time, but 50 years is... What, he's 40? That's the rest of your life. That's the, the first one and the last one are just life without parole. The sense that he's 40, he could be out by the time he's 60, 60 something. That's potentially okay. It's like the worst of three terrible options. But before he could be sentenced, experts were called in to explain the severity of Chaz's crime, and Dr. Russell, the anesthesiologist, would explain to the jury exactly how Kathy would, had died. Uh oh. They're going to find out they used the torture drug on her, and they're going to give you life without parole. Kathy Marie Augustine's last moments were filled with terror. Dr. Russell explains that once Chaz had injected sucks into a sleeping Kathy's buttock that morning, she would have jerked awake within seconds as her entire body went into painful spasms. She wouldn't have been able to scream or cry for help or to breathe, and within less than 30 seconds, all of her muscles would have become paralyzed. She would have collapsed on the bed, unable to move or breathe, fully aware as she listened to Chaz's sham 911 call in which he told the operator that his wife wasn't breathing and that he was doing CPR on her. She knew that she was going to die, but despite the panic she felt, the burning need to breathe, to move, to save herself, there was nothing she could do. Quote, it would be like drowning without a chance to come up for air. Kathy Augustine might only have died a few days later, but even if the paramedics had arrived a few minutes earlier, she would never have recovered from the injection of sucks that Chaz had given her. The damage had already been done. In truth, he'd murdered her that morning and had watched as the drug had taken hold as she breathed out her last breath. Ta- Kathy's daughter Dallas glared at Chaz as she read her impact statement to the court. Quote, After hearing your indifference to my mother's suffering, I know you don't know what it is to be a human being. I miss her every day, and I will miss her for the rest of my life. Nobody can ever take away the pain that I feel. And Kathy's brother, Phil Jr., also took to the stand, telling the court that, quote, I don't know where to begin. I've known two emotions over the past year, anger and sorrow, because of that man over there. Kathy had referred to Chaz as her angel, but the fact is, he's the angel of death, and I can think of no other individual who deserves punishment as much as he does. Chaz received life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years, which means he will be 62 when he's up for a parole in 2027. Wait, he got the lightest of all the sentences? And he's going to be potentially out in like four years? (laughs) That's not the result I was expecting. If you want to get away with murder, being a billionaire is helpful. A few questions remain. Why did Chaz kill Kathy? Did the two of them conspire to kill Charles Augustine, or had Chaz acted alone? One, I don't think Chaz killed Charles. You see, after Charles's death, Greg Augustine allegedly found out that Chaz had tried to apply for credit cards in Charles's name, listing himself as an alias as of Charles. 
We don't know whether he'd managed to get these applications approved or not, but why would he kill Charles? Keeping him alive would have been more profitable for him. Secondly, he had already befriended Kathy at that point, and despite his claims that he had no idea who she was when he'd met her, a quick Google search would have told him everything he needed to know about her. He might have thought that he was handsome enough to tempt her, so why not see what he could get out of their relationship? And that leaves Kathy. Chaz himself explained in court that he'd felt emasculated by Kathy. She was the important one, the powerful one, the one with the money. One of Chaz's ex-wives would explain that Chaz always wanted to believe that he was the strong one in the relationship, the caregiver, the man of the house. Even in the letters Chaz wrote to his co-worker, he promised her the world, saying that he would take care of her. It must have really bothered him that next to Kathy, he was just the arm candy, and she was seen as his sugar mama. But it is a fact that Kathy hadn't been a sweet docile person. She was ambitious and strong-willed and had to fight her way to the top for years. And her political opponents have admitted that she could be ruthless when it came to the political game. Yeah, I mean, look, you rise up to any level in politics. Politics is pretty fucking ruthless. So is it possible that she'd bullied Chaz the same way that she'd once bullied Charles Augustine? Is it possible that she'd honed in on his weaknesses and made a point of pointing them out, reminding him that she was the one with the money, the power, and that he would have nothing if it wasn't for her? Um, I think it is. I, I, sorry, Emma writes, I think it is. I totally think it is. This is like a mega toxic relationship and both of these people seem rather unpleasant. And I think that Chaz felt trapped by her, that she'd unknowingly been tightening a hold on him for months, breaking him down piece by piece until one day he finally snapped. And Detective Jenkins agrees with me, quote, I think it's as simple as he didn't like her and he didn't see an easy way out. Like most murderers, he was more concerned with his own personal well-being than that of someone else. He places his life, his comfort, his security above everyone else's, even his wife's. And she had become an annoyance. But I think it's entirely possible that he'd only considered actually killing her after his conversation with Kim Raimi. And Simon is more than welcome to disagree with me, but hear me out. Um, I think he that was probably when he decided to take it seriously, because it doesn't seem that this was like some super premeditated thing. He'd seemed to have recently taken the sucks from the hospital, maybe even that day. So, yeah, I'm inclined to believe that he'd probably thought about it, and then he was like, no, I'm actually going to do this. Jazz was preparing to leave Kathy, divorce or no divorce. He had everything ready for it, the separate bank account, the apartment, a new job. He was planning on leaving, but then Kathy called him and confronted him about his plans, and he felt the trap closing in around him once more. The conversation with Rami must have been like a light bulb moment for him, and he decided to follow in Darren Mack's footsteps and get rid of Kathy. Darren Mack is the guy who assassinated a judge and fled to Mexico, though, which is, like, that's that's next-level crazy. He already told Rami that he knew of a way to kill someone without being caught. After all, a similar case had been in the news just a few years before, and he knew that they couldn't prove that he'd murdered his wife with sucks. I mean, it was worth a try, right? I think Chaz stole a resuscitation kit and some other medications from a cart in the ICU and stuffed them into his bag. He went home that night, fought with Kathy, and his resolve only solidified as she once again told him that he was worthless and would have nothing if it wasn't for her. The next morning, he got up early, retrieved his bag from the car, quickly referring to his medication cards to make sure exactly how much sucks had to be injected. The recommended way was intravenous since it allowed the effects to take hold sooner, but he wouldn't have time to prepare a vein, so it had to be intramuscular. He went back inside, dropped his bag in the hallway outside the bedroom door, and prepared the injection. He slipped into Kathy's bedroom, lifted the duvet, and injected her. Then he watched as her body went into spasm, and once she collapsed, paralyzed, he called 911. He waited outside in the hallway until the paramedics arrived, and then he made a point of telling officers who questioned him about Kathy's heart condition about the amount of stress she'd been under. Once they arrived at the hospital, he wasn't the anxious, worried husband that his ex-colleagues were used to seeing. Instead, he repeated his story, telling everyone his theory that she'd suffered a heart attack, that it must have been all the stress she'd been under. And as he worked to keep up the persona of the concerned, loving husband who had no idea what he'd do without his darling wife, he just drew more and more attention to himself, since he made no secret of the fact that he hated Kathy Augustine. It's just such a contradiction. And you're at a hospital where everyone knows you hate your wife, and now suddenly you're like this? It's just so mad suspicious. You're the worst criminal ever. But had Chaz Higgs per- planned the perfect murder? I think he did. If it wasn't for the fact that he discussed his theory with Kim Raimi, she never would have alerted the hospital and the police to his crime. They wouldn't have known to ask for Kathy's blood and urine samples, they wouldn't have known to test for sucks, and if they'd tried to run the tests after she'd already been embalmed and buried, he would have gotten away with murder. Maybe. Maybe. I'm also kind of like, well, he's the husband. He's suspect number one anyway. 
and he seems he left that evidence he left the, the the medical bag in the hallway his suspect number one he's got motive i don't see it's impossible as him getting nailed on something else to be honest Number one, Chaz Higgs allegedly tried to commit suicide tri- twice during the course of the police investigation. The first time was a week after Kathy's death, and in the note he left, he claimed that he didn't know how he was going to survive without Kathy, and that the police had to look into her political enemies if they wanted to know who'd killed her. The second time was just before he had to appear in court during his trial, and the prosecution made a point of asking him if it attempted suicide to gain the jury's sympathy. Both times, he ensured that someone was close by to find him in time, and both times, medical staff noted that it only injured himself badly badly enough to cause a bad bleed, but not enough to kill himself. And he's a nurse, so he knows what he's doing. He knows if he wanted to kill himself, he'd be able to. Number two, Chaz's theory that sucks couldn't be picked up during an autopsy was obviously incorrect, but it was most likely based on the trial of Dr. Bill Sybers, who'd poisoned his wife Kay on the 30th of May 1991. It took investigators six years to rule out various kinds of poisons that Dr. Sybers might have used, and at last they'd settled on sucks. The Sybers case is the reason the FBI had to develop a method for detecting sucks and mono after the person had already been embalmed. However, because mono is naturally produced by the body after death, the court ruled that the evidence surrounding the um, uh, was not scientifically accepted and should not have been allowed at trial. Still, Dr. Cybers pled guilty to manslaughter in 2001, which is not murder, is it? So it kind of worked out for him. Number three. During her testimony, Madeline Montgomery explained how she needed clean urine samples with the test she had to perform, so she not only used her own urine, but those of her co-workers as well. I just find it mind-blowing that you can work in an environment where it's totally acceptable for you to walk up to a relative stranger and go, Can I have some of your pee? and have them go, sure, did you bring a cup? Yeah, science, scientists, they go to all sorts of weird shit. Um, that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. I do hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoy the show, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, hello there. Like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.